My question is, yeah. what's happened the text is, is, is okay. Yeah, it's respected more by the West than by Indians or Hindus. Uh, Chanakya's Shastra is also a kind of text. He was not trying to either what's happened or how together they were not trying to define Hinduism's Purushartha's comprehensive. They were books at some point of time that apply contextually to either you know Arthashastra or Kama Shastra at that certain period of time, as you rightly mentioned, to address the practices, to practically win the neighboring kingdom, whatever as you mentioned. Now these are not even to me, these two texts are not defining Purushartha comprehensively from a Dharmic perspective. If I have to understand Purushartha, I don't read these two books for my uh, two parts of the, the four-part uh, Purushartha are three-part, as you rightly mentioned. So, she lacks teeth and substance to address Hinduism's Purushartha comprehensively by just addressing two texts and quoting things out of context. So, why is this she so relevant to us? And why does she become esteemed Hindu scholar in the eyes of the world? Well, you see, uh, let me take the first part of your observation. Vatsyayan and uh, Chanakya, they are both talking of Artha and Kam respectively within the framework of the three Purushathas. There is no doubt. See, it's there. Because uh, they cannot do it uh, singly. They are doing it. But in the Indian tradition, a Shastra is written for a particular application. You see, today, we are reading Shastras as a uh, total body of texts. And then we are saying that, what do they represent? They all represent Hinduism. Now, this was not the case. These are practical books. Shastra is for application. There is, of course, a general framework of what is dharma, what is adharma, what is purushartha and you will try to understand them by reading not just one shastra but by all the shastras. So in ideally in classical India the person who read various shastras not just one shastra he was considered learned. He was a dhurandhara Dhurandar means one who has the dhuri and his dhuri was on wheels or many wheels. So many shastras. He had a comprehensive understanding. Now that is the general approach but a particular shastra is for application in a given area. So dharma shastra is about what is your conduct from the beginning of your life that is from your birth till your death. So all that achar, all that conduct will be dharma. And that will not be moksha, by the way. Because if you want to understand moksha, then you will have to read the text for moksha. You will have to read the text of Brahma Gyan, Or you would have to read the text of Tantra or the text of the Buddhist or the Jain. A tradition of philosophy. In order to do a particular area of activity in life, you read the relevant Shastra. Here they are talking about statecraft. Artha Shastra is about how to manage a kingdom. And therefore, Artha Shastra is not just the uh, tricks that the king will play in order to entice the enemy in order to trick the enemy. No, Arshastra is also about what will be the taxation, what will be the bureaucracy, what would be the rate of taxation, what would be the approach of the king to the people. All that is part of Arshastra is not just dirty tricks. She is picking up on dirty tricks department and saying this is against them. This is what is a problem. What about the dharma prescribed in Arth Shastra that you will normally, even in great stress, not take more than one-sixth 
of the income as tax. How much is one sixth? How many percent today? Fifteen percent. Ah, so fifteen percent is the maximum taxation. Tell it to our Jaitli Saab. He'll have a heart attack. You say, "Hari, nation will become bankrupt if I take fifteen percent tax as maximum." Because there are only fifteen percent paying the tax. No. That was a problem always. Yeah. Yeah. Shah, uh, sorry, Arthashastra also talks about those who evade tax mm -hmm. and prescribes how to bring them into the tax net. But in principle, that was the maximum. Of course, for certain areas, there was more tax, like the cows raised by the uh, by the cowers would be fifty percent. But then the king would take them and preserve them and give them a dan. The king would not make a uh, commerce out of it. So if you see the complicated system, you find that Arthashastra was a far more humane system of economy. There were so many categories of human, of uh, uh, persons who were exempt from tax. Officially exempt from tax. Now, Wendy Doniger would call them even Brahmins who perform Vedic rituals. She would not really take into account the fact that these people had to lead an extremely austere life. That they could not keep Anna for uh, more than three days in their house. Only three days stock could be kept. This was also prescribed. That they could not wear anything on the uh, upper as upper garment except when it was very cold. So if you look upon these things, they were also part of maintaining a healthy state. Similarly, Kama Shastra is about maintaining a healthy life. And it is for people with means. If you see the totality of Kama Shastra, then it is also about good living, having uh, gardens in the city, all kinds of festivals, all kinds of promotion of arts. It's not just uh, dirty tricks. And just one part of dirty tricks does not subvert dharma totally. What about the other good things that the Shastra prescribes? As I said, the intention is different. Yes, Are you planning to make a book out of your, your critique? Is it worth it? No, I don't think I am going to make a book, but I am going to make an article. I had an article, I wrote an article on her earlier book called Hindu, you know, Hinduism and Alternative History. You can read it on the net. That article is on the net. Yes. One question I have is, I am always struggling with finding which are the books to read. Because if you say, if you read the Shastras, if you, you know, have found good publication or publication process, can you suggest specifically for a lay audience which Shastra, like which author, like which public publishing house? Yeah, yeah. I would say my prescript, my suggestion always is read the fundamental text. Now, I'm not saying that learn Sanskrit for 12 years before. And, uh, you know, so that you are prepared to read a text. Read the text in any language which is familiar to you. Here, if you can get a particular text like Manusmriti in Kannada, then read it in Kannada. I am sure Manusmriti is available in Kannada. Not one, but several translations. Don't read it in English. Read it in Kannada. If you for some reason are not comfortable in Kannada, then read it in English or any other language. No, Hindi. Is. Yes, no, no, I, that's the answer. Read, read. I'm so sorry, I need to clarify. I'm going to go to my mother's in English, a language I'm comfortable with. Please. And? my That's why it's Why should you? There are other authors. I want there is. No, I mean, you will have to ask somebody who knows a bit about uh, Manusmriti. You see, it's like if I have a headache, 
And if somebody says that your headache is because of a pain in the ear, then you go to the ear spe ENT specialist. So you'll have to do a little bit of, you know, asking. <laughs> I mean, if I give you a list, then again, that makes very uh, little sense. I mean, all such lists are available on the internet. But you'll have to do a bit of search. You know, go to a specialist. If you want to read a particular text, then ask him, what should I read? Even I do that. After so many years of study, if there's a particular text, then I ask a specialist, which is the best edition, which is the best author, which is the best edition for me, what can I read? You know that. So that way you will not uh, go and read Donegal's. I mean, look, the fact is, if you want to search something, you'll have to do a bit of struggle. It cannot be just given to you like this. I mean, if you want to read an English translation of Manusmriti, there are three or four available on the internet. You can download, do a Google search and they'll come. But then you, you'll have... Like reading alternate texts or people who are propagandists and I'm able to figure out... No, they are not alter. The text is text. What you are talking about are books like this. Interpretation. Don't read books like this. That's why I always tell people, read the, the text. And all of us cannot read originals because we don't know the language. No, no point of view. You see, if you, the problem with us in India is we have not for hundreds of years read our own text. Yes. So let us start reading our text in whatever languages in India we can. And a huge number of translation work has been done in Indian languages. Oh, I get that. In fact, what he is suggesting is not to read any commentary. Go to the original text. Read Ramayana by... Is it Ramayana? Example, I asked somebody, ask somebody, please tell me who are the best historians on Muslim history. Ah, no, 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 just a minute. You asked the wrong question. I got it. No, no, you asked the wrong question. Who are the best historians? Now, the moment you say who are the best, you are asking certain gatekeepers. Why don't you read the histories? Okay, you want to read Muslim history, period history? I'll tell you. If you want to read them in English, read the original tra translation of the original by Eliot and Dawson in seven volumes. If you want to read it in Hindi, read it by Atar Abbas Rizvi, published from Aligarh. Thirteen, uh, you know, histories of almost ten centuries. I'm, I'm familiar with these two names. Thank you. Huh? So can you give me names like this for Arthashastra? Can, can you give me names like this for Arthashastra? Arthashastra, as I said, is available on the internet. English translation. Chanakya. What he says is read the original text, not the interpreted questions, not the commentaries, not the Pashyas. The original author. For example, go for Valmiki if you want to read Ramayana. Don't read my commentary on Valmiki. I mean, and check what I have said is right or wrong. When you will read, uh, when you read Manusmriti, then you will, the question will arise, okay, that professor spoke something, but it's not found here. So, right. go See, about that. Yes. It's a little related to the topic right now, which is in, being discussed. I'm sure some of you would have known that, like, for at least not all international agreements, many interna important international agreements, there is always a, always a French copy. Because... In French language, there is no, you know, there is no scope for confusion, no scope for interpretation of different words in a different way. So many important international agreements, there will always be a French copy, so that there is no conflict. So I think Sanskrit is exactly the other opposite. So our other opposite in the sense, uh, unless you know the language in and out properly, you cannot understand the meaning, exact meaning what the author is intending to say. So, having said this, the main question is, so how can people like Hal uh, or David Patnaik or any other person who don't know Sanskrit can comment on such texts which are close to thousands of people's hearts when they don't, when they didn't read them in their original form, in the original language. How can they be authorities? Yeah, yeah, when they know that they have a large audience. And many people can get if it's not a crime, it's 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 I think it's a moral responsibility. But then that is not 
uh, a problem with uh, scholarship or Hindu text. Uh, that is something which happens, you know, instead of uh, selling original ghee, you sell artificial ghee with a label, uh, you know, pure ghee, pure cow ghee. And inside, <laughs> I mean, that's the same thing. We have to have a mechanism of, now, two years ago, three years ago, nobody would say that Dev Dutta Patnayak did not know Sanskrit. Now people are saying it. And they are making their own opinion. So in, in Germany, yeah. there is a research on Sanskrit, and they are developing more this thing than our Indian. You see, now that's that is part of history, because these were colonizing cultures. They studied other cultures. We have not even studied our own culture. First, we should study our own culture and also study their culture. And that can only be done by reading texts. So Western culture is mainly on hedonism. Is? Hedonism, rather. Now, I don't want, I don't think we should go into these generalizations. See, texts of any tradition, classical texts of any tradition, Eastern, Western, Japanese, Chinese, they are very valuable. They are full of profound wisdom. You should go and find them out and you should see the difference and you should see the different uh, approaches. That's what I'm going to speak tomorrow morning, the difference between Greek thought and Indian thought and also the similarity. So we should have an open mind, the valuable things we should study. Yeah. Uh, sir, uh, I couldn't understand uh, you know, the, uh, the link between uh, Artha Shastra, Kama Sutra, and uh, present uh, political uh, dispensation. What, uh, Wendy, what is the motive? I, I explained to you that this is her construction. How is it related to Artha Shastra and Kama Shastra? Because she believes that Artha Shastra and Kama Shastras were written by scientific people, okay. materialist people, and they believed not in uh, the authority of Manu or Dharma which is based on concepts like Ishwara or Punarajanma. Uh, they were materialists. Uh, they were people who just say go and grab and they only paid lip service to Dharma. And they were the real scientific materialist people. And the materialist people are the important people in India today. And the government today is oppressing them. This is our thesis. You know, whether it is right or wrong, that's a for you to decide. But this is the relationship she makes. To my mind, it's a totally, as I told you, fictitious relationship. So there's no relationship. There is no relationship. So she anymore. says the present uh, political dispensation uh, is materialistic and... No. Uh, is, is forcing an artificial uh, insistence on Manu Dharma. It is religious. Okay. And it is anti materialists. Mm. In other words, what she is saying is that that Modi is bad and Marxists are good. That's all. <laughs> all right. So, but as I say that uh, no honest Indologist would stoop to this level. I mean, you can simply say this as a political uh, statement. I am free to say whichever party I like, but why should I drag and and make a whole fictitious discourse about it involving the classical text. Yes. Just to extend this thing, uh, Artha Shastra itself says that when the, everyone is uniting against the king, the king is supposed, uh, supposedly going on the right path. Oh, I don't think Artha Shastra. Yes, Artha Shastra says any such thing. No, you see, no, no, this is, this is something which uh, goes in the name of studies of Artha, Artha Shastra. Artha Shastra would never say such silly things. Is there a need to identify that who are, the scholarship, someone must be sponsoring such scholarships, like she, if she is doing something, research on it, the scholarship would be coming from somewhere else. 
So does it need no, to? No, it is to coming from somewhere else. It is coming from America. It is a, her particular way of thinking, and they are politically aligned people. It, it's an open fact that, they, and they are declaring it themselves. There is no need for me to say so this. Looking inwardly rather than looking outward, if we in, look at inwardly, that you know we don't have one central uh, voice uh, like. We have different, uh, you know, Shankaracharya Peethas at different places and uh, they are not coming out in a single voice that, you know, this is the interpretation or giving out some interpretation of the religious text. So, would it, would it be beneficial for us as a uh, civilization, as a religion, as a dharma, Sanatan dharma, to have a central tenet, cent, uh, not a, exactly like something what the Christian churches, but a central voice wherein, wherein everything, everyone is speaking but in one what, union. What will you achieve by it? Then in that case, instead of reading the text yourself, you will leave it to a, a, a particular religious body or a theological body. You will subvert and uh, destroy your own tradition. Where is the need to you know, do this whole exercise of a central body? India has never uh, approved of that. The most important thing is that people all over read it, people all over study it. In spite of their difference of approach, they should study it themselves. See? Why should they just say that, okay, let us gather in strength? You need gathering of strength for certain purposes. For instance, you need a central excise department in the country or a taxation department. But for thinking, process you need various kinds of traditions and it never happens. It only happens where it belongs to. And India has all these uh, different centers of learning. They should flourish. What is the point in uh, you are not making an NCRT book out of Shastra. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, yeah. Uh, in the academic world, you know, I have seen another author speaking about pure corruption. But my question is very really, uh, simple. Why are uh, people not promoting pure corruption where you debate and win over the opponents? But instead, what I am seeing is all this peer review thing. This is something new. Because yesterday, I, I found out something, you know, uh, where the dating of Mahabharata was, you know, there was an argument between two people. Me, I, I am new. I am trying to understand what it is. But here, one person is published and he is going on thinking what I found out. But the other person, and he claims to be an academician, but he says, I am not going to debate him. I will go and write a blog on it. I mean, I don't understand. If you feel that it is wrong, well, they should counter it. But I don't see that happening see, with us. Just one but minute. There are two do? things you talk about. One is Purva Paksha and the other is debate. See, Purva Paksha is a term which has been popularized by Rajiv Manohar. Yeah. And that term is the first step in any debate. Purva Paksha only means what the opponent says. But if you have a different opinion, then the next step is called Khandan. After you have done the khandan or a demolition of the Purva Paksha, then you have to bring in something positive. That is called mandan. You make a construct that look, these things are not this way but this way. And then you call that construct a principle or a siddhant. So Purva Paksha Khandan, Mandan and Siddhan. These are four things which go together. Just Purupaksha makes no sense. Uh, Purupaksha has become a very uh, popular term. But remember that it leads to other three. So there has to be a debate. Now writing another blog may be a way of making a debate. Somebody may want to debate by writing a blog. Somebody may just personally debate or like I would like to debate, I prefer debate, but then all the time debates cannot happen. I had in 2011 challenged uh, Wendy Doniger 
to have a public debate with me uh, in a conference in Hawaii uh, and I had given six months time and uh, she refused to debate so I went and gave a demolition. If she had gone, if she had come there then I would have had a couple of hours of debate with her. But then it cannot happen all the time and some people don't want to do it. So in the long run the debate happens one way or the other by writing a blog, by writing uh, essays or actually debating. Yes. It looks like the extension of the theme of this book is to deny the existence of very dharma itself. Yeah. That's why right. saying the dharma is the whole set. Two shastras, what you have quoted, is just a subset of that. She is probably, in my view, based on what you have explained, is trying to project these two subsets independent of the whole set, what is called exactly. dharma. And you say A, B, C, D is independent of alphabets. Yeah. And there is no existence of alphabet at all. So there is no concept of dharma. So this is the leftist concept. Strategy. Is it, is yeah, that's true. That? that's true. That's true. That's what I said. Yes, that she does not. She she is she is creating a fictitious opposition, disconnection, and disconnect. And she is presuming that these people belong to the Charvak tradition, whereas in the Indian tradition there is no mention, even by uh, by Kautilya, that one of my gurus was Charvak. You see, in the Indian tradition, we always mention the tradition we belong to. It's very clearly, parampara is mentioned. We are proud of mentioning. So, if these people had, at some place or the other, as their uh, gurus, then they would have mentioned them. But uh, to me, what he said looks quite uh, impressive, Michael. Even the same thing I was thinking on and on. Uh, the problem with us is, we are... Uh, many of us do not put even a small thinking in understanding what the opponent says, the Polo Paksha. Having understood that, like, I mean, sorry, unlike the leftist, they have a training, they have an alliance, and they have a strategic country, uh, probably a sort of training, especially amongst youths. And probably taking this as an example, yes, I thought, like, you know, at least 10 management graduates, 10 management PhDs, they can give their opinion, taking one aspect. Ten, okay, dharma, uh, some, some shastra specialists. Like, you know, a systematic uh, uh, but, that, but that is happening now. Now, uh, ever since the arrival of uh, fresh technology, uh, you know, integrated technology on the mobile phone, and this has begun. Because earlier, it was only in the universities and these people have their monopolies in the universities but then uh, they have a large number of universities in India the universities don't teach these subjects we are still living in a very very old colonial world and no government including the present one has tried to make a change in the education policy of the country and nothing will change unless all these texts are taught in the schools and colleges and PhD. When people will, yeah, then people will study and then you will have a large number of specialists and scholars coming from the university. They may have other backgrounds, they may come from IT background, go to the university, take up good degrees. In, in, in these study of these texts and then there will be a good debate and a good army. It's an army that can fight an army. Yeah. And we have to create that army. In other words, he's asking if you are hiring apprentices. Uh, <laughs> huh? Sorry, I missed. In other words, uh, he's asking if you are hiring apprentices just now. If you are recruiting. No, I... I no, I... specific. I wish I had uh, $500 million. I'll do it. But why, why, how can an individual do it? It's a national policy. It's, it's the duty of the government to do it. Looking at the positive part of the 
looking positive. In fact, I when I uh, uh, I mean I heard uh, your uh, specialization when all you worked, I thought I can play around this. This is the first time I am listening to a person who is in a within the inverted comma the rightest thought from coming from such institutions. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, so this is a possibility part. Like you know, there are lots of there are lots of things just like him, and there are so many people who are thinking, but they do not know what to do. Need not be it need not involve money alone. Like you know, a small small group effort. See what has happened is this: some operational strategy. We, I mean, if you look at it in a historical perspective, we had the Nehruvian era. Nehru was a socialist, a Marxist. Indira Gandhi was under the thumb of Soviet Russia. She installed Nurul Hassan. The Marxists took over all the educational institutions. They have had their field day. Now the tide has begun to turn because so many people outside the formal department of uh, philosophy or history or uh, languages have started studying these texts and in the social media they are producing work on it. However, unless the universities also make a shift, so therefore what we have to do is to demand from our governments a education policy which includes the classical texts of India right from the Vedic time to the modern time, irrespective of any religious affiliation. So we are going to study from the Vedas right down till Sri Aurobindo and Aurobindo. In that case, it will be a political link. And we also study the Quran, we also study uh, the Bible and all that. The problem is that the Indian politician has not acquired the courage to take up the challenge. And he or she will not acquire the courage unless we as people force, unless we make a demand and unless we come to a strong objection and say no vote unless you bring in a new education policy. I think we have six months to say this to the present government that we want this. It's not a question of us being with you or against you. We are with the nation. This is our heritage. Please, we want heritage to be studied. That's all. But that thing, that could be a politically wrong decision because Why? because any others are not going to vote. Which others are voted? No, it's Why not a question. It's not a question of vote. You see, what do you mean by others? No, I would like to see. I I put it very bluntly. There are still 75% Hindus in India. But not if 25% start making that demand, things will change. That's all. Nothing else. Organize or disorganize, you have to do it. And you are not asking for something partisan. You are asking for your own tradition. I am not denying anybody. I am not saying don't teach the Quran. But, there is only one text called Quran. There are 500, 5,000 texts beginning from Rig I am asking for you to teach all of them. I am not excluding anything. It's a brilliant idea. It's not, it's not that I say make Bhagavad Gita the national book. I say every text which is revered in the heritage of India is a national book. Not this book. Including the, this is not a book, this is a... Commentary. This no. is a, this no. is a pamphleteer's job. Why this is not dependent upon dharma, artha, kama and moksha, the ultimate thing here. No, you see, depth on that subject. The sheep is very rightly taking the earlier part of Trivarga. See, even in the earlier part, even Veda was considered as three. 
Atharva was not part of it. Even the Arthashastra talks of three Vedas. Anivikshati Trai Varata Dandaniti Shaiti Vidya. So Trai means three Vedas. So this was it. Since the last one was about, we discussed something about chronologically how it has all the like, look, no, as, I, as I told you that they added moksha because uh, what happens is that when you want to highlight something, then you give a name to it. So earlier it was considered that moksha is part of dharma, artha and kama, that if you follow dharma, artha and kama, all three, then moksha will automatically for result. But then a time came when people became concentrated on the otherworldliness in the national or in the cultural discourse. And so they said, let's call this, let's draw attention to this, and hence they added moksha. Sir, I have a question. I will come back to the book. Uh, so I am told that. Uh, in the spiritual tradition, every book starts with uh, a description of the qualifications of student, like Adhikari, who is Adhikari. So in Chandra, Bharshira, Chandra text, we normally see that. So my first question is, does uh, Kama Sutra and Artha Shastra also mention such a category of Adhikari? And my second point is related to, uh, you mentioned that Bendy Dhanika is trying to say that there were no Chagas and it is a fiction. No, no, Ah, yeah, in reality there were none. Yeah. Ah. It was Brahmana's fiction that Charvagas existed. Now, my question is, can't we refute it very easily by telling that the Buddhist text and the Jaina text also mentions about Charvaga and I'm again told that it was the Buddhas, the Bhavdas who spent most of their lives disproving the Charvagas. For her logic, Bhavdas and Jainas are doing the same thing. They are looking for what is called in English straw man. That there was no such person. They invented him so that they could argue against. So it was a common conspiracy. Yeah, yeah it was a national conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this gives uh, actually a beautiful uh, question. How to prove logically the existence of charvakas? No, no, we are not proving. There is no existence. No, this we are not. We are not doubting. It is she who is doubting. Okay, okay. From an absolute point perspective, so yeah, yeah. an argument. The Charvakas are mentioned, the, but she says that this is not history. No, I am not going with her. Huh. See, I am coming with an absolute question from, from zero reference. Do there, is there an existence of Charvakas? Yes, they are mentioned. Yeah. If so, how to? No, you, see, you see, it's like this. I have a picture of my, let's say, grandfather. And my father has told me that this is your grandfather. Suppose if I make up my mind to say that no, how do I know he was my grandfather? Now, modern science will say that, okay, if you have something from your grandfather on which we can perform a DNA test, then perhaps we will be able to determine. Otherwise, it's a matter of belief that what I think that there is a picture, that there is a name, that there are references, that everybody in the family says so, and still I say no, give me a proof. So it's the same kind of argument. It is she who has created this argument that there were no charvakas and this is a conspiracy on the part of uh, believers and Astikas to create Nastikas. Bharati, what are the three things we should do to engage with the BJP government to make sure our education system includes all this? What are the three things according to you? And I hope all the, at least the members who are here, will work towards to make sure the three steps uh, gets implemented. Well, first of all, write open letters to the Prime Minister. Okay. Number one. Number two, Write open letters to all your representatives here. Okay. In the at the level of uh, 
municipal council at the level of legislature at the level of MPs. That and tell them that this whole uh, kind of false assurance that new education policy is coming, is coming and Kasturi Rangan is about to submit his report is not enough. Okay. You know, fix a date. It should come by 30th of September. Okay. If it doesn't come and if it is not a radically different one, <laughs> then we consider that it as non-existent. Job not done. Job not done. And it should be, I mean, you can make this on media. You can make this a demand in public uh, discourse. And I think it's going to make a difference. Okay. And Maraji, why is that the right-wingers are not engaging with Modi ji frequently? Once in two months, why are you folks like you, Shifani Vaidya, Sankrat, why are you not meeting Yogi ji and Narendra Modi ji to make it happen? Because I always believe in... Who is not meeting? You, you folks no, are I, I have asked, I have asked, I have done what I am, I am suggesting to you. I did this... Uh, eight months ago or something like that. I wrote a petition okay. to the Prime Minister. It is also on the net. You can discover it. And I got a reply that he will give you, uh, that it will be presented to him. But nothing happened. Because... Uh, because... No, it is nothing to do with secular. See, the debate whether it is secular or non-secular will begin only if you exclude somebody. Yeah. If you are just asking for inclusion of all the revered text, including the Muslim and the Christian text, then where is the question of uh, secular versus non-secular? Is there a link to that submission? I think any, any intelligent man will understand that including the Quran and the Bible as, as texts to be paid attention to and studied is in Hindu interest. Absolutely. Absolutely. We all know this. Yes. And we all know that exclusive study of Christian texts by the so-called minorities is not in national interest, not even in their own interest, because that keeps them uh, in bondage of certain political theological leadership. It is in the interest of everybody to read all the texts. It is in the interest of Hindus to read their Hindu texts, to read the texts of Christians and Muslims, to compare, to talk about, to discuss, to question, and vice versa. What is wrong with it? To say that this will create uh, bad blood, that this will create confusion, that this will be anti-secular, I think that such an approach is only illogical. And that approach uh, perhaps has a secret intention of being anti-religious. That you don't want religious texts to be studied in India. It is only a hard-boiled atheist who can make such demand. And I think the so-called education policy of the country was made by anti-religious people. They did not have the interest of religion and religious people uh, in their minds. They, they, sir, So many of them were also practicing, say, practicing Muslims, practicing Christians, etc. They all wrote that uh, 
so they were practicing their own religion. But I think they wanted to control the, or rather they were, uh, they were afraid if I'm going to make it the majority, whatever the tradition in the country, then we are not going to have space. Or they, they sort of made a concocted view and continued controlling the modeling. They, they did not give credence to the traditionalists, the, the pundits, the, the traditional bodies of knowledge. Well, as I look at it, uh, this was largely because of Jawaharlal Nehru. Jawaharlal Nehru was a Fabian socialist. Uh, he, according to his doctrine, which is a version of Marxism, religion is dangerous, it is irrational. He could not say this openly, but uh, he perhaps wanted that the majority of people in this country should not study religion. That may have been his motive. Or even if it was not the, his motive, that was the result of his actions. So I think it, is, it has been a big political uh, battle. And because of, largely because of Jawaharlal Nehru, we ended up with this problem. Otherwise, logically, uh, there was no need to have articles 28, 9 and 30. Because if it is uh, beneficial for 25 people to study religion, so-called minority or less number of people to study religion, then it is beneficial for a larger number of people. What is number got to do with it? If five people can study religion and benefit from it, then five thousand can also do it. It's so simple. It's only that you wanted to make an, uh, a discrimination. It was willful discrimination because of certain ideological motivations. And the ideal, ideological motivation was to promote atheism in India. Because that was the Marxist philosophy. And that was the underlying intention of Jawaharlal Nehru. He, he also did not know that he was being used by global interests. No, I don't think he was being used by anybody. It was his, it was his own will, his own design. Can I ask a second question? Sorry. This has always bothered me, very compelling personally. Why are Hindu texts, Hindu ideologies, Hindu philosophies, anything that goes by the name of Hindu, either on the back or the front, front cover, always called to question by non-practitioners of Hinduism? And they become very popular, Wendy Doniker, Shadon, anybody. On the other hand, none of the Hindus or none of the non-practitioners of, let's say, the two other major religions, Islam or, or Bible, none of the non-practitioners are allowed to write a commentary like this. How are you feel about the quality and, and, and the content and the construct? It, it, it is just Hinduism that is available for such a time. Yes, that is true, partly. Although there are lots of uh, ex-Muslims who are writing about Islam now, or uh, non-practicing people in the sense that they were Muslims, once and they have, uh, uh, they, they are uh, apostles, you know, they have uh, practicing apostasy now. You're not talking about Salman Rushdie, isn't it? Well, I am mean, thinking more of what is her name? Saslima uh, oh, and the, there is another, no, there is another lady. There are several. There are several people, but this is because of the Indian colonial situation. But you are talking about people who are uh, Muslims, ex-Muslims writing about the Islamic culture. Yeah. I am talking about non-Hindu writing about Hindu. Because, because study of Hinduism in the last 200 years has been done by colonial non-Hindus. That's, that's, that's it. It was studied always in Oxford, in uh, Harvard, in places uh, by people who were governing us. 
and who were not practicing that religion. So, because we did not have any control over over our institutions, and even when we acquired control with independence, we chose to toe the line because we have such a huge anglophonic uh, bureaucracy, a huge anglophonic judiciary, and uh, anglophonic uh, academic bureaucracy. So they are the ruling classes. It's English apartheid. Huh? It's English apartheid. Yes, I, I mean in, in India the, the biggest uh, apartheid is uh, Anglophones versus the rest. I am a ex-professor of English literature. I made my living by teaching English literature. And I, I have been to the best uh, schools and colleges in this country. And I know the inside story. The, the only division is those who know English and those who don't know English. English is, English is equal to the ruling class. There is no other reality. <laughs> the hegemonizers are those who know English. It is not Dalit versus the rest. It is not OBC versus the rest. It is not STSC versus the rest. It is not even Hindu versus Muslim. It is only English versus non-English people. That's the reality of it. Some people add on to the question. My opinion, what I felt is um, my own family members. Yesterday or two days ago, I talked about history, why we are, why we have become this. There is a thought process, there is an awakening, seeing what, what happened to us. I was talking about it. The first thing that I got in response was, why are you speaking about history? No, there is no use for it. But my point was, unless you know what happened to us, what who did what to us, you can't proceed because our past actions actually have led us here. But nobody is ready to agree to that. That was the whole point. I was struggling, me against the entire group. But the fact that in your family you have awakened is already a, a sign of awakening to me. <laughs> well, this has happened all over the country now. And, and it is, you know, it is like, after all, there were empires, like there was a Mughal empire, but it fell. So there is the Anglophonic empire in India, it is falling. And that awakening had actually come from a person in US, you know, he asked me a question, you know, America has been for 200 years or I was in support. So we had, I had, and I was working on something, we had some time, he asked. America has been there for 200 years or you know, we are on top of the world. And your civilization has been for thousands of years. Why is that? That's a very different area of investigation. Yeah, there was a question here. Yes. Sir, you agree that the Shastra is a spiritual attainment that is a spiritual attainment. You यू नो इसमें सच्चाई ये है कि व्हाट इस तप यू सी तप इस नॉट ओनली ब्रह्मज्ञान तप इस नॉट ओनली परस्यूइंग मोक्षा व्हेन आई डू स्टडी ऑफ़ ए शास्त्र फॉर थर्टी इयर्स और फोर्टी इयर्स एंड आई डू इट ऑल माय लाइफ Am I not doing tapa? You see, we confuse tapa with only paramartha, with the final pursuit, with giving up of the world, with tyaga of the world. Now, this is wrong. All the shastras are for worldly concerns. For spiritual Brahma Jnana, there are Upanishads. So you have to read Upanishads for Brahmagyana. Shastras are not to be equated. Natya Shastra does not give you Brahmagyana. It gives you the information as to how to dance and perform drama and other things. 
but it has a spiritual content also. But the practical art is in this world. That is where artha and kama are part of that dharma. What is the dharma of a dancer? To dance. The dharma of a dancer is not to give up the world and go to Himalayas and seek and become a disciple of a yogi. You had something to say. आप कह रहे हो कि स्पिरिचुअल अटेनमेंट के बाद तो मैं आपसे ये सवाल पूछ रहा हूँ वट इज द नेचर ऑफ दैट स्पिरिचुअल नेचर ऑफ दैट स्पिरिचुअल अटेनमेंट इज डिफरेंट फॉर डिफरेंट शास्त्र बैठो फॉर इंस्टेंस देर वॉज अ स्पिरिचुअल बैठी बैठी देर वॉज अ स्पिरिचुअल अटेनमेंट ऑफ याज्ञवल्क एंड याज्ञवल्क से समथिंग लेट से पर्टिकुलर उपनिषद देर ही इज टॉकिंग ऑफ ब्रह्म ज्ञान राइट That is the particular purpose of that shastra or, or that Upanishad. Now, there are different areas of knowledge, and different people have pursued those areas of knowledge to say that first of all there was somebody who attained Brahma Gyan, then he gave us Manusmriti, then he gave us. Uh, Natshas, then he gave us uh, uh, Gandharva Shastra, or then he gave us uh, the Shastra of fighting. This is wrong. Brahma Gyan is for Brahmarshi. He pursues that particular area, and he writes a text related to that. That this is what I have attained. This is the system that I have followed, and. Brahma Vidya. This is it, and this is the Upanishad. These are known as Upanishads, but then there are Lokic texts for Lokic. Yeah. Pandit, I mean, merely the Upanishad, the Shastra, which is wordy form, I mean. Wordy, I mean, in words, Shabdik. Yes, Shabdik. Yes. Actually, spiritual attainment doesn't mean that. उन्होंने तपस्या की और ये शास्त्र मुझे लिखना है या काम शास्त्र मुझे काम शास्त्र से ही स्पिरिचुअल अटेनमेंट मोक्ष की प्राप्ति हो सकती है वैसे भी है आचार्य रजनीश ने उन्होंने भी बताया है उसमें उनके तंत्र तंत्र में और तंत्र उनका उन, उनकी जो किताब है संभोग से समाधि था आप उसकी बात कर अगर संभोग से समाधि पर हम जा सकते हैं तो संभोग कैसे करना है इसका भी तो कोई शास्त्र होगा वही तो वात्स्यायन है जिसको ब्रह्म ज्ञानी बनना है वो एक प्रकार की तपस्या करेगा रमन महर्षि की तरह श्री अरविंद की तरह जिसको कामशास्त्र लिखना है वो दूसरे किस्म की तपस्या करेगा वो जिन्होंने पहले लिखे हैं उनको पढ़ेगा जगह जगह जाके देखेगा कि क्या हो रहा है दुनिया में कैसे कैसे लोग काम की साधना कर रहे हैं क्या क्या लिख रहे हैं तो वो भी एक तपस्या है तो तप का फल तो एक शास्त्र बिना तप के नहीं हो सकता लेकिन एक कोई स्पिरिचुअल तप होता है सो कॉल्ड स्पिरिचुअल या आध्यात्मिक उसके ही रिजल्ट से सारे शास्त्र उत्पन्न हो जाते हैं ऐसा नहीं है ये एक बिल्कुल गलत धारणा है कैसे हो जाएगा आपको फिजिसिस्ट बनना है 
तो आप पहले फिजिक्स को परस्यू करेंगे मेडिसिन का जानना है तो आप मेडिसिन को करेंगे फिर क्या हो उसके बाद वो एनर्जी सुप्रीम एनर्जी जो चैतन्य हमें अरे भाई उससे काम शास्त्र तो नहीं लिख दोगे आपको किसी ने बेवकूफ बनाया बैठ जाइए ऐसा कहीं नहीं लिखा है ना कहीं परंपरा है हर शास्त्र के पढ़ने वाले की एक परंपरा होती है आप किस आपने सुना है कि रमन महर्षि ने एक फिज, फिजिक्स की लैब पैदा कर दी विश्वामित्र ने जो है वो उन्होंने क्या कहते हैं अस्त्र शस्त्र की फैक्ट्री कैसे बनेगी विश्वामित्र तो क्षत्रिय थे इसलिए वो अस्त्र शरार जानते थे वशिष्ठ तो नहीं थे वशिष्ठ ने तो नहीं आपको द्रोणाचार्य को ब्राह्मण थे लेकिन उन्होंने सीखा था परशुराम से कोई भी विद्या ये बिल्कुल बहुत बड़ा भ्रम है इसमें मत पढ़िए कि अगर हम ब्रह्म ज्ञान कर लेंगे तो ब्रह्म ज्ञान में सारी विद्याएं हमको प्राप्त हो जाएंगी ये हिंदुओं को बेवकूफ बनाने का सबसे अच्छा फार्मूला है ब्रह्म ज्ञान के पीछे चलोगे तो ब्रह्म ज्ञान मिलेगा और जिस डिसिप्लिन के लिए जाना है उस डिसिप्लिन के थ्रू आपको जाकर हाँ आपको हर डिसिप्लिन में जाकर जीवन की अवेयरनेस और अंडरस्टैंडिंग मिलेगी आपको उसकी अलग अलग स्टेजेस मिलेंगी अगर मैं पढ़ रहा हूँ तो पहले मैं पढ़ूँगा वर्ल्डली सक्सेस होगा फिर एक अवेयरनेस आएगी कि पढ़ लिखने के बाद भी मैं कितना कम जानता हूँ तो विरक्ति पैदा होगी वैराग्य होगा लेकिन उस वैराग्य को बढ़ाकर ब्रह्म ज्ञान तक जाने के लिए ब्रह्म विद्या की साधना करनी पड़ेगी हर साधना अलग है एक साधना करने से सारे फल प्राप्त नहीं हो जाते ऐसा कहीं नहीं है और ये तो रजनीश ने भी नहीं कहा है किसी ने नहीं कहा है आपके किसी के टेक्स्ट को देखिए हर विद्या को आप पढ़ेंगे उसके डिसिप्लिन के थ्रू आप सीखेंगे ऐसा नहीं है कि हमारे ऋषि मुनि जो थे उनको सब कुछ क्या वो जो कहा जाता है कि वो सर्वज्ञ थे सर्वज्ञानी थे तो वो एक रूपक है वो एक लाक्षणिक बात है लेकिन ब्रह्म ज्ञानी ही अगर सब कुछ कर देते तो ये बाकी ज्ञान करने की जरूरत ही क्या ऐसा हो ही नहीं सकता बहुत बड़ा म्यूजिशियन होता है उसको संगीत की साधना होती वो वो थोड़े मैथमेटिक्स लिख देता है उसकी तो एक एरिया होता है बस वो तीन ताल बजाएगा या रूपक ताल या क्या कहते हैं आपके जो इधर कर्नाटक में होती है मिश्र चापू ताल और ये सब यही बजाएगा म्यूजिशियन तो सुबह लक्ष्मी सुबह लक्ष्मी बनेगी इसको समझिए भारत की अलग जो अलग विद्याएं हैं उन सबको आपको साध कर अलग अलग लोगों को अपनी अपनी प्रकृति के अनुसार करना हो सब ब्रह्म ज्ञानी कैसे हो जाएंगे सब में तो वो कैपेसिटी नहीं है पहले मैं ब्रह्म ज्ञानी बन जाऊं सारी विद्याएं जान लू फिर मैं सब विद्याओं के शास्त्र लिखू ऐसा तो हाँ कहीं इतिहास में भी नहीं यानी जिन इन शास्त्रों के प्रणेताओं ने भी नहीं लिखा है उन्होंने ये तो लिखा है कि ये ईश्वर से आती है तो ईश्वर से तो सब कुछ आता है वो तो ब्रह्मा से सब कुछ ही सारी सारी क्रिएशन ही ब्रह्मा से आ रही है लेकिन हर शास्त्र के अलग गुरु हैं अलग गुरु परंपरा है और अलग हर शास्त्र का देवता है 
किसी शास के देवता जो है वो शिव है किसी शास के देवता विष्णु है वगैरह वगैरह और ऋषि परंपराएं तो ये सब प्रैक्टिकल चीजें थी ये ब्रह्म ज्ञान से कुछ नहीं हो जाता है ये ब्रह्म ज्ञान से तो ये मॉडर्न बाबा बनते हैं जो आईलैंड खरीद लेते हैं ये कर लेते हैं वो कर लेते हैं देखिए मोक्ष अटेन का मतलब क्या है कौन सा मोक्ष मोक्ष का मतलब है कि दुख से छुटकारा यही तो मोक्ष का अर्थ है ना नहीं अब फॉर मी एंड यू मत करिए जो हमारे टेक्स्ट में लिखा है देखिए अगर दुख नहीं होता तो दुनिया के अंदर इतने लोग करा रो नहीं रहते अब आप कहोगे नहीं ये तो सब भ्रम है तो ये एक कहने का तरीका है ये सिर्फ ऐसा हम कहते हैं कि अरे आप तो महान हैं इसका मतलब ये तो नहीं है कि आप पचास फिट के उसका उसकी फिगरेटिव यूज जब दुख नहीं है या संसार नहीं है किसके लिए नहीं है जो ब्रह्म ज्ञानी है उसके लिए नहीं है ना मेरे और तुम्हारे लिए तो है अब मेरे सिर पे अगर डंडा पड़ेगा तो खून निकलेगा तो मेरे मत, मेरे लिए तो दुख है ना रमन महर्षि के लिए नहीं था उन्होंने कहा चलो बिना एनेस्थीजिया लिए मैं अपना ऑपरेशन करा लू आप समझ गए तो सिर्फ कह देने से सिद्धांत को बता देने से कुछ नहीं हो जाता चीनी मीठी होती है तो मेरे मुंह में तो नहीं आ गई चीनी तो यही चीज है स्वानुभूति जब जिसको होगी उसके लिए दुख नहीं है मेरे तुम्हारे लिए है तो आपका जो प्रश्न है मोक्ष के बारे में तो आप रमन मुर्शी जैसे and particularly Srijan Foundation and uh, for you to coming here for having this long nice discussion and this only shows that uh, we are going to change. Thank you.